Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. It's been a while since I've recorded one of these <laughs> on-the-road podcasts. Um, I used to do them every now and then. If you go back into the archives and listen, uh, you'll have these podcasts of me late at night driving home, uh, essentially on the highway, nobody else around, me talking into uh, the microphone. People would freak out and they would say, Chuck, uh, isn't that dangerous to be, you know, talking, recording a podcast while you're driving? Um, no more dangerous than talking to the person next to you. You know, I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm pretty hands free right now. And so I'm just talking while I drive. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to you instead of the, the, the person next to me who is not here. I'll just I'll just pretend that you, the podcast listener, is sitting in the seat next to me. And actually, it's going to help me because I'm really tired and I'm kind of falling asleep. And uh, falling asleep right now would be really bad, not only because I'm driving, but because I'm driving in uh, white-out conditions. Uh, wow, there's a flag right here, a, a, a U.S. flag blowing on the flagpole, and it's just like taut. It's straight. Um, the wind is really roaring here, and uh, I'm about to... Um, get back on the old highway here and go at a rapid pace of probably 25 to 30 miles an hour, which, um, (laughs) it usually takes me two and a half hours to get home from the airport, uh, from, you know, to where I live. Uh, I've been on the road three hours now and I am about halfway home. (laughs) So that gives you a little sense of, uh, of the pace here. Uh, we're getting our first real heavy winter storm of the year. And uh, it's, uh, it is definitely blizzard conditions, not even blizzard-like. We are in uh, deep, deep blizzard here. And uh, I don't know. I couldn't be happier. I'm excited. I, I've been waiting for this. Um, this is the last day of our member drive. And the reason I'm recording this podcast now is because I was going to get home and then record it. And, and that's not going to happen. It's going to be a while uh, before I get there and get that done uh, <laughs> because of this snow. Um, there's a couple things that I wanted to kind of wrap the week up with for, for our podcast listeners, uh, in regards to our our member drive. Um, you know, first I, I, I was just gonna, I, I, I actually thought I would tell you a little bit about yesterday. Uh, yesterday I was in St. Mary's, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, St. Mary's, Pennsylvania is about, it, it said on my GPS, like two hours, 45 minutes, seemed a little bit longer than that. It's a pretty remote part of Pennsylvania, uh, about three hours, say, north, northeast of, um, of Pittsburgh. I, I, I headed out uh, on Wednesday afternoon, drove down to, uh, to Minneapolis, got on a plane, uh, took a plane to Pittsburgh, landed a, about 8.30 or so, I was out of the airport by 9, and I got to my hotel about 12.30 in the morning on Thursday morning. Uh, Thursday morning, uh, a group from St. Mary's, including the city manager, the mayor, some council members, uh, met me at my hotel and showed me around the city. Um, This is pretty standard uh, when I go out and do talks like this. Often I will, you know, meet with uh, people in the city like that. They'll give me a tour. They'll show me around. Um, A a little bit different about St. Mary's, and I I think it kind of comes 
on the heels of you know this election season and everything we've gone through, and, and really what is still, uh, I, I think, a bitter and brutal divide that I am just bombarded with continuously from these two sides of the political spectrum. You know, I have my foot in each world, and I hear them both, and they both just like pain me deeply, right? Uh, so here I am in this small town of St. Mary's, and by small town, you know, Brainerd, where I come from. 13,500. St. Mary's, I want to say, it was 13,000. Uh, felt, felt very similar. Um, a lot of the issues they were dealing with, a lot of the things they were struggling with, very, very similar to our conversation. Um, but here are these people, and, you know, <laughs> just enthused about their place, uh, excited about it. Um, I'm... I, 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 I'm going to combine two things that are, uh, as I slow down, wow, that was nasty little drift. Um, I'm going to combine two things that are not, uh, you know, that that opposites. Yet I think they held both of these. First of all, they're they're very um, proud of their place, uh, but also very humble about their place. And you know, the pride comes kind of from. Uh, I, th- I think a love of the place that they live. I mean, I heard from people over and over again who had left a- and returned. Uh, one guy told me about his life circumstance and, and how, you know, he left. I'm never coming back. I don't want to live in this small town Hicksville and actually, you know, lived in Manhattan, was off. And, uh, you know, for, for family reasons, um, family health reasons, uh, wound up getting kind of drawn back and now is, is you know, very happy and, and content to be part of that place and, and, and part of the conversation going on there. Th- this resonated with me. You know, I, I moved back to my hometown shortly after I got my undergraduate degree. Uh, and, and I was there at a time when, um, you know, people my age, people in the early 20s, uh, there weren't any there. I mean, y- you were only there if you had never left and should have, <laughs> you know, in, were in trouble with the law or, or what have you, or had no hopes of leaving. Um, or if you were my age, you left, right? You, you got out. Uh, I'm now at the age, you know, I'm 43. I'm not the age where in the last, you know, five years or so, uh, a, a lot of my friends, a, a lot of the people that I knew from school have started to, to migrate back. And started to become, you know, more a part of of the area, and have found kind of kind of found their way home. And I, I understand that. I mean, I, I get that draw. Uh, I, I heard that a lot of that yesterday. A lot of pride in the place. I also heard a lot of humility and experienced a lot of humility. People who were, you know, as they were pointing out things that they thought were were great about their city, were also eager to hear, uh, you know, my. my my critiques, um, you know, the, the places where they thought they could do better. Uh, like any small town, they had a lot of struggles, um, a, a lot of, you know, multiple challenges on multiple fronts that they were working with, and a, a lot of, you know, fear and apprehension, because a lot of the trends there are not going in their way. Uh, the city's population seems to be holding steady, but the, reason, the region's population is declining. Uh, they have some good, solid industry there. Uh, but, you know, the future of that industry is in doubt or in question, uh, partially because, you know, there isn't really the, the growing workforce there 
to uh, to handle the future needs of those industries. And there's there's a concern that you know they're going to have to move on uh, just you know from a sheer lack of workforce. They struggled to get the workforce in because you know the the modern professional families uh, often want more in a community than what they're able to give. You know, it's a it's a beautiful place and it has a lot of great stuff going on, but it doesn't have, you know, professional sports, uh, art museums, uh, you know, all, all the amenities that you would find in a in a bigger city, uh, are, are are lacking in a place like my hometown or in a place like, uh, you know, like St. Mary's. We we get by, we do what we can. I won't say there's no culture there. There certainly is. I mean, last weekend uh, we had a an orchestra concert in my hometown that was that was beautiful i mean on par with what you would find in other places uh only you know at a fraction of the price and uh, with really good seats <laughs> um and they do those kind of things in saint mary's too but there's an understanding that you know it, it is a challenge to keep and, and uh, you know to attract and then retain uh really high quality professional people they also have you know this large population that that doesn't have a place anymore and that that rang very familiar to me too. Uh, you know, Brainerd, my hometown, St. Mary's, to an extent. Although I I, I can't speak authoritatively on, on their extent. You know, we have a problem with heroin. We have a problem with meth. We have a problem with uh, essentially people who don't have a place in our society now. Uh, they're not educated enough to get a job. Uh, the jobs that they can get don't pay enough to live off of. Uh, in times past, uh, th- these you know th- this group of people has always ex- existed, but I think in times past, uh, the, the, their existence has not included so much desperation. Right? There, there have been options for them uh, in our kind of economic ecosystem uh, that allowed them to you know live with dignity and uh, you know pursue things that, that could better themselves. And, you know, it, it maybe didn't result always in, in, you know, them leading middle class or upper middle class lives. Uh, but it, it certainly, I think, gave them a lot more hope than, you know, the isolation and the challenges that we see today. I, I, I saw this in St. Mary's too. It occurred to me, uh, you know, just how, huh, I'll say this again, I, I've, I've written this, I don't know how many, how many Facebook posts over the last week and, and, and how many, you know, different conversations I've had with people. It is remarkable to me how much, uh, working people in this country have in common, whether they are working people in big cities or or working people in, uh, in small towns. Um, when I was in Portland last month, I was getting this tour, uh, of, uh, one of their transit stops. And, you know, the, the professionals were, were walking us around and, and they were uh, musing about, you know, the, uh, the art improvements <laughs> to, the, to the stop. And, you know, it was clear that, that some very intelligent people had been working on the uh, pedestrian interface. It was, you know, great design. Uh, they had all these big plans for uh, high-density residential housing and uh, you know, and, and other things they were going to do that that were you know in the scale of tens of millions of dollars, that would you know make make this transit stop into a, you know a, a great place. The, the the vision that they had, and you know, as part of this tour, they had some people from the neighborhood that were walking around with us. Uh, you know, a lot of the people from the neighborhood 
uh, one, you know, a couple of the guys were African Americans. Uh, I was chatting with one fascinating guy, and at one point, you know, him and I, I kind of looked over at him, and I, I, I said, "This is a bunch of crap, isn't it?" You know, meaning uh, this, this, you know, this presentation that we're getting uh, and all the great things that it's going to do, and all. We're, and, you know, he kind of looked at me, shrugged, rolled his eyes, you know, and was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, of course. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but what do you do? You know, what do you do? We're here and uh, I don't have a lot of power in the thing. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of say. It, it seems to me in a very broad sense uh, that, you know, the, the, the system that we have created uh, is, um, you know, struggles to work for a, a large swath of this country. And, and while we're kind of inclined to make that a, a rural-urban divide, I actually think that there's a, a very strong kind of professional and then working-class divide. And of course, many people who in the past would have been professional degrees are now finding themselves uh, kind of working-class people as well. And so I, I think that, that that group that is being kind of left behind is, is growing more and more. As uh, you know, at, 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 even as you know, from a national perspective, we you know statistically on a macro scale become more and more affluent. You know, and unemployment goes down and what have you. Uh, we can still see these divides. I, I felt this yesterday in St. Mary's, and it it just it it really resonated with me how important the Strong Towns message is. Um, at one point, one of the issues that they were struggling with uh, was their, uh, their, their major institutions, such as their hospital and their school district, um, essentially becoming bigger and, and bigger. And, you know, the, the hospital used to be a, a, a local hospital owned by or, you know, managed by Benedictine nuns. This is the exact story of my hospital in my hometown. You know, we had the Benedictines who started this and, and for years ran it and, and operated it. And yes, they hired, you know, they hired doctors and they, they hired, um, you know, professionals. And, and, you know, you had modern equipment and machinery. Oop, hit another drift there. I had to slow down a little bit. Um, I'm going 30 miles an hour, so ugh, it's going to take a while. You know, the, the, Bened the, the Benedictines ran this hospital, and I've said this many times in other contexts. It's not that they, they ran it uh, at a loss. Um, they still had to make a, you know, from an accounting standpoint, they had to make a profit. Just like Strong Towns, a nonprofit organization has to make a profit. I mean, we have to have more revenue than we do expenses each year. That is called a profit. It was very clear that the mission of the hospital uh, was about the patients, uh, about caring for people, um, and about service. Um, now our local hospital is owned by, uh, you know, some company, and it might be a nonprofit company. I don't really know. It's called Essentia Health. Uh, what I do know is that their offices are not in Brainerd. I mean, they have people here that, that work in my hometown. Um, you know, but their uh, their their essence, the uh, the you know the the corporate entity that it is, is based somewhere else. Um, I know a lot of the doctors that work there; they're kind people. I mean, they're the same people who worked under the old system, right? In a lot of ways, um, but the emphasis has changed, right? It is now about insurance. It's now about billing. It's now about something completely different. 
the, in St. Mary's, they were lamenting this. Um, and they were lamenting the, the loss of control over their local hospital. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a realist too, right? I mean, I get that, you know, now my hospital has top surgeons, right? Now my local hospital has a helicopter that can fly people out to, uh, you know, to, to a, a different hospital if, if that hospital would better suit their needs. Um, you know, we have fancy, uh, and I say fancy, I don't mean fancy as in gratuitous, you know, I mean fancy as in like high tech, very expensive, you know, machinery now that we, we probably would not have had in that old style of, of building and mission that we had. Um, yet, you know, for all of those advances, we still give up something, something very important. And I don't think we discussed that trade-off enough. In St. Mary's, they were trying to discuss that, that trade-off. They also talked about the same thing with the schools. And, you know, I've experienced that in my hometown, too. Our, our school district geographically is huge. Uh, it serves a, a very large uh, and, and distributed population. Uh, when it used to be a Brainerd area school district and just, you know, focused on the city of Brainerd for the most part and, and maybe, a, you know, a little bit in Baxter, uh, it, what, what we found is that the values of the school district as, a, as an entity, you know, as an organization with a board and staff and what have you, were pretty closely aligned with the values of the city. You know, the objectives of the school district were very uh, closely aligned with the objectives of the city. What was good for one was good for the other. We, we now kind of in a, and I'm, I was going to use the word utopian, uh, I, I think like our, 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 our better angels, you know, our, <laughs> and I was just going to quote Rodney King, you know, our, can't we just get along? Um, there's a certain like notion of people who are big into regionalism that what regionalism is, is all of us talking together and getting along. And, you know, I, well, I, I get that and I'm, I'm sympathetic to that and I'm naturally inclined to want that. Um, I also step back and look at our school district, which is this massive entity. And then I look at our city council and, and, you know, the bureaucracy of the city. And I look at the, you know, the, the people and the, the, as a Venn diagram, you know, there's an overlap there because the people who live in Brainerd also live in the school district, but um, it's not a total overlap, right? Because the people who live in the school district and the people who are on the school board do not live in the city, um, you know, largely. And so what, what is lost is that kind of innate internal value set. Um, now it's different. Now we have a different set of values. We have a different set of objectives and they don't always align. And yes, through talking and negotiation and communication, we can find places of overlap. But at the end of the day, you know, my school district is looking at tearing down one of the few remaining neighborhood schools, you know, ripping it down and building a new one out on the edge of town. Uh, that would be devastating for the city. It would be devastating for the neighborhood that it's in. But for the school district, you know, for the sake of the facilities and efficiency and, and all the values that they have, it makes absolute perfect sense. Who's right? Um, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, in St. Mary's, they're struggling with this just like we are in, in Brainerd. And it occurred to me because someone asked me in the Q&A yesterday about this. And I, I wish I had recorded it because sometimes the, the best dialogue we have comes from these Q&As. And, and I love them because they, they push me 
to think about things in, in new ways. They asked me about this kind of regionalism and working together. And it, it occurred to me, a little bit because I've been reading, rereading some Nico Mele lately and, and listening to some of his talks. Nico Mele, for those of you that, that maybe have not been with us all that long, uh, wrote a book called The End of Big. And uh, I, I really thought the book was fantastic. Uh, as part of answering this question yesterday, I talked about how essentially I step back and I look at things like our election uh, I look at things like the banking system, uh, and I certainly put the Strong Towns movement in this context too, as this kind of competing, uh, competing narrative or, or competing vision for how we should go about solving problems in this country. One is a very kind of centralized, top-down vision, and another one is a very distributed. Uh, decentralized kind of vision. Um, one you can think of as like a centralized server. One you can think of as, you know, smartphones and, and uh, the internet, right? And I, I think that that's a good place to start with it because when we look at communications, when we look at uh, technology, what we see is that there's a ton of power in, in distributed. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of, as we talk about at Strong Towns, chaotic but smart in the distributed. Um, yet, what we see in things like the banking system, right, uh, is that uh, there is a, a lot of advantages, um, particularly for bankers, <laughs> you know, the people in the system. Uh, there's a lot of, of advantages to centralization or consolidation. You know, there, there's this great chart that I had seen back in 2008 or 9 that showed the consolidation of banks into just a handful. And it started with, you know, all of these names, many of them that you'd remember uh, if you, you know, saw them, old storied banks that, you know, through one step or another had consolidated with other banks and consolidated and consolidated more and became just a handful of, of very, very large banks. You look on the other side of the banking sector and we have now this proliferation of crowdfunding platforms. Uh, you know, local investment strategies. Uh, we had on a, 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 just a brilliant woman earlier this year, and, and I'm driving here and, and her name escapes me. But uh, her group, which was out of Pennsylvania, talked about uh, the, the you know, ability to fund, uh, to, to essentially as local investors, investing, you know, $500, $1,000, uh, invest in construction projects in your local community in a way that was incredibly innovative. So you, you, you look at this and you see that, you know, a, a lot of our kind of tension today is between these uh, big, big systems that are finding, and I'll give you my take on it, are finding because they just don't work. Uh, these big, these big, these big systems are like dinosaurs. They just, they don't work. They're not, uh, adaptable, they're not flexible, uh, what they tend to do is become more and more consolidated, right? Uh, the way we cut costs, the way we increase efficiencies, the way we uh, create essentially more power that we can leverage is by becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you have as the counterforce to that, this kind of internet force, this distributed force, this idea that uh, you know, we can do things at a very, very small scale. 
I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, we should have one to the exclusion of the other. But I think what we're seeing today is that there's becoming less and less like middle ground, right? There's less and less stuff in the middle. Um, There's fewer and fewer options that would not be super huge and would not be super small. Uh, We just, you know, bought a new house this summer uh, that we financed it with the local bank, which I was very proud to do and happy to do. I, I never considered doing anything otherwise. Uh, and then my local bank sold it to U.S. Bank, you know, which we knew they were going to sell on the secondary market. That's their business strategy. I uh, would much rather that they held it, um, but I understand why they can't and I understand why that doesn't make sense for them. So now I make my monthly mortgage payments to U.S. Bank, uh, one of you know a handful of national banks that, that deals with this kind of thing. It seems to me when we get into... Um, you know, the, the, the small town situation, you, you can see it even more starkly than in a big city. In a big city, it's kind of accepted, you know, that you're, you know, you will, well, let, let me, let me put it this way. When I, when I would stay with my good friend, Ian Rasmussen in Queens, uh, we would go out and we would have, you know, we would go out to eat and, you know, they had the subway and they had Chipotle and they had all these, you know, but really not that many what they had was a, a ton of local places uh it, you know a ton of like small town kind of places um and and the diversity of food i mean ian is uh is danish uh his family his ancestry is danish mine is uh norwegian uh i was astounded because i come from a city of scandinavians and i can't go get real scandinavian food really anywhere <laughs> and and here I am in Queens and I'm I'm eating like authentic Scandinavian food uh you know prepared right there it was it was astounding to me so in a big city uh you kind of have these two extremes right like I can go on you know walk six blocks and get a McDonald's hamburger um I can also get the the very very hyper local it's fascinating because in like a small town like mine there's not a lot of in between right that or I'm sorry uh, the, the, there's, the, there's, you know, one end, uh, but not the other, you know, you can go out to eat at Olive Garden. Uh, you can go out to eat at Applebee's. You can go to, you know, any one of a number of fast food chains. Uh, we're getting a new Tim Hortons, yay Canada, <laughs> uh, in my hometown. Uh, but you know, you want to go get authentic Norwegian? Not, not going to happen. Not, not going to happen. Uh, you want to get authentic, you know, Mexican food? Mm, no. We do have a locally owned, you know, uh, Minnesota Mexican restaurant, I'll call it. (laughs) Um, You know, but uh, those are like very rare kind of places. Uh, I also talked a little bit about the impact of government on local systems. You know, my city right now is in the process of spending $14 million to... uh, to run sewer and water out to the edge of town to build another business park. We already have a business park that's only half full that was built in the 90s. This one, though, uh, is is oriented to the airport, so it's air-oriented, and we've been sold uh, that that is going to have all kinds of, you know, advantages in terms of businesses and and what have you. It's just totally ridiculous. Uh, nonetheless, we're spending $14 million to make this happen. Now, $14 million might not sound like a lot of money. And, you know, in the context of major projects, it's, it's probably not. 
Um, but it's important, I think, to understand that in the context of, of our city, uh, $14 million is like, you know, two years, uh, almost two years of our of our budget, right? Uh, our budget is around like $9 million a year. It, it goes up to like twelve if you count all the utility stuff. But the budget that the council works with is like $9 million a year. So th this one project absolutely dwarfs our budget. And it's largely... I mean, it, it would not have happened without the state government uh, coming in and kind of, uh, you know, enticing it with a, 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 a certain, you know, the, a, a way to get the money essentially without us having to pay locally, uh, you know, the, the full cost. If this was a if this is a locally originated project, never would have happened, right? Never, never, never would have happened. Uh, the only reason this happens because the state came in and made us an offer we can't refuse, right? And I think people look at small towns often and say, well, I, you know, why, why are people in small towns cynical of government? Why are people in small towns uh, upset about government? I can tell you in the context of this project, this is a ridiculous project. It is massive in its scale and scope, and it will produce no discernible benefits for people there. So just taking that at its face, you know, already you've got a, a reason to be cynical in a sense, you know, and, and the fact that it was a fait accompli, we, we really, you know, nobody really had a say until the funding was in place. Um, you know, it was, it, it was kind of the insiders in the community that put it together and pushed it. Uh, you know, you could put all those things in, in with it to kind of, you know, point to a certain level of cynicism. But I, I want to put this in the context for people who live in large cities. Imagine your city, and I mean, I've, I've seen large cities with annual budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to say the city of Minneapolis is a couple hundred million. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that, but I, you know, imagine if your city every year, imagine if the city of Minneapolis every year built uh, a, a, a project the size of Target Field, right? You know, Target Field went in and the city of Minneapolis kicked in a little bit of it, but not like a huge amount of it. Um, and it was massively controversial, right? There were, there were all kinds of people upset about the government subsidies and, and the priorities of government and, and why are we subsidizing billionaires? And, and I get all that. Um, but, you know, it went through and it died down and people were still upset about it later on. But, you know, people lived with it. They got it. Um, when the Viking Stadium came up, you had the same kind of thing, a little bit of consternation. They, they bought people off with the park and, and different things that they did, you know, to, to, to kind of make it work. But when we look at those payments or the, the, the size and scale of those projects, um, they're not like many multiples of the budget of the entire city. And beyond that, they're not year after year after year after year, right? Um, you know, we've done multiple projects like this in my hometown. Uh, you know, in, in, in the last six years, we've done uh, three of them <laughs> that are just like bizarre and out of scale and have these same kind of impacts. Here's, here's the point I'm getting at. If you live in a small town, you are, you, your capital investment strategy, the direction of your city is absolutely dwarfed and swamped by the priorities of essentially remote people, right? People who, you know, 
uh, are, are, are not aligned with you, don't live among you. Uh, yes, you know, the Marin City Council wanted this, but, you know, we, we've talked here all the time about the Ponzi scheme and how that works. The, this certainly is not, uh, you know, people going out and, and looking around and saying, you know, where's the greatest need and what can we do? Uh, this is the bureaucracy coming up with projects. If you look at a big city, I'm not suggesting that it's any different. But what I'm suggesting is that as an overall percentage of the experience of living in that city, it's very small, right? Government is a difference maker in a huge city. In a small town, it is the thing, right? It is, it, it is the, the thing that you rise and, and, and the sun rises and sets on. It is the uh, difference maker for good or for bad. And in most small towns, it winds up to be for bad because we wind up doing a lot of really terrible projects that don't get us, you know, where we need to go. And, you know, put, put, put small towns really uh, with, an, you know, with a drag around them that they, they just can't get out of. I, I think that all of this, you know, when I'm in St. Mary's yesterday, just comes to the fore. And... The reason I, I wanted to bring this up is because I, I just want to reiterate again, um, you know, what I said at, right after the election, and that is that these experiences are, are very different. The experience of living in a small town, the experience of living in a big city is very different in so many fundamental ways. And the way we view the world is obviously shaped through that experience. I, I have the great joy and the great pleasure of, I think, experiencing the best of both. On a, on a regular basis. And while I do get the worst of both now and then, I, I do think that in general, I get the best, right? I, I, I get to experience people that are positive. I get to experience people that are solving problems and, and, and dealing with issues. I get to, I get to experience, you know, smart, thoughtful people. Um, and, and, and I, I get, you know, I get to see the good, uh, where, you know, others don't often get that same experience. I, I just want to stand up and tell you that you know, this is a country full of good people. And if you're living in a small town and you feel, you know, like people in urban areas are, are, are elite and out of touch and don't understand you and you feel, you know, oppressed by that or uh, neglected by that or misunderstood by that, just know, you know, th there are a lot of great people in cities and, and, they, and you do have a lot in common with them. And, and, and you, you should make an effort to understand where they're coming from and, and, and what inspires them. And I would say, you know, along with that, if you live in an, an urban area and you look out at rural America and you just shake your head and say, you know, huh, what, what is going on here? Well, you know, why don't they see the world the way that I do? I, I, I'm clearly right. I have the, you know, the charts and the graphs to prove it. Um, you know, why do these people vote against their own interests? Why are they so dumb? Uh, you, make an effort, make an effort to meet people, make an effort to un understand them. And, uh, I, I don't mean understand them in the sense of patronizing them or, or agreeing with them superficially, but dig deeper than, you know, than the superficial and, and, and try to really grasp what drives them. I'm not suggesting that everybody in these places are great and wonderful people, but I'm telling you that there's far more good out there than there is not. Um, I am not much further down the road than when we started, but I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this thing up now. You should see this. Like I, I can, there's a car in front of me about, 
uh, is maybe 150 feet and I can barely see him. Uh, I'm going 40 miles an hour right now. I should probably slow down actually. Uh, this is crazy. I, I, I've been in lots of snowstorms in my life. Uh, a lot of snowstorms. I've been in ones worse than this, but you know, for the first one of the year, this is kind of a rude awakening, uh, cause this one's pretty bad. Um, but I'll make it home. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, it'll all go well. Hey everybody. Thanks. Thanks for being there for me. Um, you know, we're getting towards that time of year where we kind of wrap things up. Uh, we do some best of, we, uh, we take a little break at the end of the year, uh, where we do nothing, um, and, and kind of go dark and, and think about life a, a little bit. I'm kind of getting in that mindset again. I'm getting my, uh, my Christmas baking list together and, uh, getting excited to kind of step back and unplug. It's been a really long travel season. Uh, I, I feel worn out. I feel tired. But then I sit down and I, I, I chat with you. Uh, I get your emails. I, I get your phone calls. Uh, I, I see all these people signing up to become members. And uh, I, I, I see the, the difference that you are making. And I, I'm just humbled. I, I'm blown away. I, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Uh, I, I know I've said it before, but I, I, it's worth repeating. I didn't start out in my life to do what I'm doing now. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to run a nonprofit. I didn't want to, uh, to start a movement for change. Uh, and, and I, I, there was no point along the way where I kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what I want to do. I, I started talking about this stuff and, and, and you stepped up and pushed me and you stepped up and encouraged me and you stepped up and said, Hey, uh, this is really important let's let's do this and so I I, I want to say thank you because you've given a lot of meaning to my life you've given a lot of meaning to, to my work and you've really given me um, you know an, an experience that I feel very fortunate to have an experience that I think very few people uh, get in this world and, and that is to wake up every day doing something that matters and uh, feeling like, you know, you're making the world genuinely a better place. So thank you for that. Thank you for all you do. Um, please, if you're not a member, consider signing up and joining us. And, and, and if, if that's not going to work for you, if you can't do it, then I tell you what, do me, a, do, me a, do me a favor. Tell someone else about Strong Towns. You know, just, just let someone else know that you think this podcast is important, they should listen to it, they'd find value in, to, in it. Maybe go back and find your favorite episode and share that with them. That would, that would be huge for us. If, if you can't become a member, do, do that for me. That would mean a lot. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for all you do. Take care. And uh, we'll be back next week with Black Friday Parking. I'm so excited. It's, our I think, our fourth annual Black Friday Parking event, and it's going to be huge. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Bye-bye.